Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener. And that's what you do. You listen. And thank God for that because then I'm just alone talking into a microphone in my room, probably in my closet with something like some sort of head covering because I don't want like the government's sort of radioactive brainwaves to mind read my thoughts. And that would, that'd be a sad day for me. And I think that that if I if I relapse on drugs and alcohol, that could be a real reality for a guy like me. Um, you know, I'm sober 12 years, but when I when I wasn't, a certain level of crazy came out. I mean, I was always good old Josh. I wasn't one of those people where, like, uh, you know, you look into my eyes and you're like, is he even there? Where'd he go? No, no, no. I understandably, I was still Josh, but I was not a great version of myself. Like, if this is Josh 2.0 talking to you right now, I was like, Josh, point, point three. Like, Josh, I need a lot of work and perhaps um, some charcoal pills, a week of sleep, like 18,000 calories and, um, and some prayer to get better. But I got, I got all those things, and now I'm doing great. I'm a little bit overweight. I wish I was, I'm, you know, I'm training right now for a TV show that I'm doing. I mean, I'm not training because we're in quarantine, but I'm like, you know, I'm working out at home. I'm going for runs and whatnot or whatever it is I'm allowed to do because the, you know, the, the, you know, the reasons. Um, so I'm trying, I'm trying to stay in shape and I'm trying not to eat like a big fat pig. And it's, uh, you know, it proves challenging. Listen, we all know my past because I bring it up all the time, <laughs> but we all know that I come from big people. And then I was a big man myself at one time, but now, you know, I've sort of gotten it. I, I'm sort of like at a, at a resting level of fitness, which I feel good about. But then as soon as you're like, oh, I actually need to be like TV fit, like proper, you know, leading. I feel corny saying that, but like, you know, just a, like a, a proper actor fit, like a little bit underweight and a little bit, you know, cut up on the arms and looks good in a tank top and perhaps has like three out of the six abdomen muscles showing. It's work. It takes a lot of work. It's really not great. It's hard. And you can't eat the things you want to eat. And you have to work out more than you think you should have to. Um, and that's not, I'm not enjoying it. But I'm, you know, I'm doing it. And uh, and then there are days, there are days, there are mornings where I wake up where the where the lighting in my bathroom is just right and I catch myself from like the perfect angle. And maybe it's because, you know, when you wake up, your vision's not totally clear. And thus, like, I'll, I'll actually see my body with this perfect lighting and through very flawed um, eyesight and think, not bad, not bad, not great, not bad. And for a guy like me, not bad is a goal. So I'm flourishing. On today's show, Dave Rubin. Dave is an American uh, conservative political commentator. He's a comedian. He just finished touring with Jordan Peterson all over the world. He has a YouTube show and a podcast called The Rubin Report. And he has a new book coming out, Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in the Age of Unreason, that comes out April 28th. Um, and I've actually included a link to buy the book in the liner notes. So check that out. Again, it's called Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in the Age of Unreason. Now, the truth is, is that 
Dave and I don't agree on a lot. In fact, we we agree on very little. But I think there's one thing that we both um, completely see eye to eye on, and that's having a safe place for healthy debate and discourse. And the idea that, you know, when you're exchanging ideas, even if they don't align, it allows for a better understanding of where that person's coming from. And and perhaps it, even if you don't walk away from the conversation agreeing with each other, you have a better understanding of the way in which their mind works and how they've arrived at, at the conclusions that they have. Uh, Dave and I met through our friend, Bob Saget, who both, you know, had both of us at his wedding. And I don't, I don't mean to brag, but I know where your head went, which is like, wow, Dave and Josh went to Bob's wedding. Like that must've been a, you know, a very tough invite to get. They must be, they both must be pretty impressive, powerful people. And you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, it is. And it was, and we did, we did get invited. So I'm just, you know, do with that what you will. Um, but you know, I, I wanted also to have, you know, some counterpoint on the podcast and, and have sort of, uh, just some, some healthy debate, ha- hear a smart voice from the other side, because, you know, I, I try not to be overtly political with this pod. Um, I think the current political climate is so divisive and so, you know, there's so much tension that, I try to keep this sort of like a safe escape no matter what you believe in. But, you know, I don't think it's it's hard to guess where my politics lie. And I've been lucky to have on people on the podcast who I really respect and who I, you know, mostly agree with. People like David Pluff, who was Obama's campaign manager. People like Dylan Lowy and Liz Allen, who I'm now lucky enough to call friends, who worked in Obama's administration. So I wanted to make sure that there was some balance here. And in an effort to do that, I felt very um, excited when Dave's publicist reached out to have him on the pod. And uh, a quick disclaimer, um, you know, we held this podcast because Dave has a book coming out April 28th, and uh, we actually recorded this in late February. So this is before um, Vice President Biden was decided to be the Democratic nominee for president. This was before sort of the throes of coronavirus. I mean, it was happening, but it wasn't at the forefront. There was no quarantine. There was sort of none of this happening. So if you're wondering why we um, we don't talk about it, it was because it wasn't um, quite where it is today uh, and how it ramped up over the weeks uh, that followed when we chatted. So, yeah. So I think that uh, that's it. All right. Enjoy Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin, come on! I've been I've been watching videos of you. Uh oh! I've been my buddy Simon. Shout out Simon, big fan, huge. Am I in any sort of trouble? Not at all. <laughs> Please, we're both at Bob Saget's wedding. I mean, what more do you need to know? Yeah, you know that's actually a pretty crazy story. I was on tour with Jordan Peterson at the time, and we mm. were in the middle of this. You know, Jordan became this just absolute cultural worldwide phenomenon. And we did about 120 stops in a calendar year. So like, it was just crazy about 20 countries. And then Bob's wedding was in maybe October or something like that, October, maybe November. And we were on tour in Europe and I was in England and I had like a two day break. And then we were going to Amsterdam and we got the invite for the wedding. And I was like, I gotta go to this wedding because I, I love Bob, I love Kelly. You know, it's but gonna was, be some nice, high-profile people there. Some I good mean, people watching. 
Josh Peck, Billy Crystal, you know, it's quite John a, Mayer. John Mayer. That, John Mayer freaking performed. I mean, the, the wedding was unbelievable. And I really do love those guys. Um, but more than anything else, I realized I'm in the middle of this tour, which was awesome and life changing and, you know, just meeting thousands of people from all over the world and blah, blah, blah. But so I flew home for one day. I flew from, from London and then the wedding was in Santa Monica. So business. I, flew from, I, flew, I did fly business. Come on, you got yeah, it. Yeah, thank God Come it was on. business. Otherwise this may have been really pushing it. But yeah. I flew from, from London to LA, got home that morning, went to the wedding that night. And then the next morning, Sunday morning, flew back to Amsterdam. Jeez. And it was insane. But I was just like, if I don't do this, like, what is the point of, of anything that any of us do? Like, if you're going to miss your friend's weddings and all that kind of stuff. So it was, a, it was a crazy thing. And Kelly gave me a shout out during the wedding. She's like, Dave Rubin even flew here for, for a day. So I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. It's nice to anyway, be Anyway, life is weird. That's the moral of the story, I guess. <laughs> it's nice to be acknowledged at a wedding, especially a famous people wedding. I mean, God, I remember when Mayor, John Mayer got up and yeah. he said something so great, which I imagine is his life. He said... I offered to play at the wedding because I assume that whenever I'm invited to a wedding, everyone wants me to play. Yeah. But they're, they don't want, I mean, if you, when you got married, would you have asked John no, Mayer? No, you, you want to give your friends like that little moment off to just be regular people, right? Yes. Yeah. But when they, if they offer it up, we're not saying no. No, 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 no. And you could feel it in that room. Like everybody's like, man, he's got to do something. And he was just incredible. The guy is really, I, I don't know him well. I mean, I just met him that night and I think yeah. maybe one other time. Um, but when you see these people that like a real artist, like there's so few people that are actually real artists, really trying to say something with what they do. And he, he so is. So to be at a wedding and in front of, you know, whatever it was, 150 people to do something that intimate, it was just so awesome. It's, it was so funny because, you know, I did a show with Stamos, which is how mm -hmm. I know Bob and, you know, Stamos and Dave Coulier and, and Bob, they're like truly brothers, yeah. you know? And so Mayer gets up and he's doing this little toast about Bob and he's like, you know, I think of Bob as a blues man. <laughs> and Mayer just, and Stamos just looks at me and David goes, blues man? <laughs> like, think of Bob a lot of ways, maybe not a blues yeah. man. You yeah. know, it's funny for me. It's like you, because you as a, as a child actor, like you grew up sort of around these people and, you know, obviously it presents all its own weirdness and all that. But for most people that aren't around these people and then you suddenly are, it's like you're seeing all of these people and it's like you almost can't believe that they're people. Yeah. Like when, when Bob introduced me to Stamos, there's something about Stamos. Maybe it's just the hair and just the way the guy carries himself. But you're like, this almost isn't like talking to a human. It's like talking to some other creature or something like that. Yeah. Or then Billy Crystal's there and then like we're like slow dancing and like my butt kind of hit Billy Crystal's butt and I was like, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the way you want to meet Billy Crystal. That is the you way know? you want to meet Billy butt Crystal. Butt to butt. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here we are. You got a new book. Yeah. You are having, I mean, I, I don't want to say you're having a moment because you've been having a moment. I mean, the the ascent to to have watched over the past few years it's been pretty, pretty meteoric, right? Uh, well, I guess that's not really for me to say, but first I should tell you this, that this is technically, I know you're going to hold this interview for a little bit. Mm. This is literally the first interview I'm doing relative to the book, related really? to the book in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, so I'm, today is number one. I don't know if that it'll shake out related to when you drop it or that kind of stuff, but this is the first time that I'm, I'm publicly talking about 
the book at well, all. So there you go. It can only go up from here. It can only go up from here. Well, that's why we wanted to start it this way. You know Kevin I mean? Echo. This is yeah. a middling podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, actually, this is his last day. Last day, Kevin. <laughs> In full transparency. Are you just announcing that now because of the book? He's, you're we, fired, Kevin. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. No, Kevin's going on the greener pastures and it's breaking my heart. Uh, I know. That's tough when you build a team and then, you know, pe people have their own dreams, their own aspirations. And Assholes. it's weird. And it's like, come Selfish. on. I thought you were an indentured <laughs> servant, man. You know? I know. Kevin fully, you know, he's heard over almost a hundred podcasts of mine. Knows I never met my dad. Knows I've got all that fun, you know, fucked up blueprint coding in my past. And here you are abandoning me. <laughs> Further, you know, solidifying my belief that no one will stick around. Just to go do what you want to do in life. It's so weird how people do that. You know, fun little transition. Speaking of people doing what they want to do in life, that's yeah. kind of your thing. Yeah. It's well, a little bit that, was, that was a hell of a transition Thank right you. there. You, I can see he has done 100 episodes. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because all I really started to do, I think what put me on the map in these last, let's say, five years or so, is that I just started to say what I was thinking. More. Mm. Really, that's it. Like I saw something about five, six years ago where people were suddenly afraid to say what they think, which now has become very mainstream, you know, with this idea of cancel culture and the second you tweet out one opinion that, you know, not everybody likes, you just get crushed or, you know, it's not just public people. I mean, that's what I'm more fascinated by actually that right now, good, decent people, regular people with regular jobs and families that are just going on living their life are afraid to say what they think. And not, not because they're racists or bigots or bad people or anything like that. They're just afraid to say anything that falls outside of what mainstream is willing to accept. And they think if they tweet out one thing, the next thing you know, you're going to show up to your office and HR is going to go, oh, you know, you you said you supported Trump or you implied you supported Trump or you said there's two genders or you said you're for low taxes or states' rights or some weird thing. And next thing you know, you're you're in a lot of trouble. And I started talking about that. And then really I started talking about identity politics, which I think is the most dangerous force, I think, across the Western world right now that we walk around thinking that because you're white, that you should have this set of views or because you're straight, you should have this set of views or that because you're black or Muslim or Jewish or gay or whatever else, that, that somehow those immutable characteristics define you more than what's actually going on in your brain and how you behave and what you think and all of those things. Um, I think that's so deeply dangerous. It's, it's the reverse of everything that America is founded upon and what it's really the reverse of what humans are supposed to do, right? Like it's your job in this world, I think, to to figure out what you think, why you think it, and then live a life that gives you some validation, that gives you some sense of purpose and drive and all of those things. And in many ways, identity politics is is just sucking that away from the average person. So I started talking about these things and then the general crush on free speech related to big tech and the rest of it. And then I guess I was a little ahead of the curve because now a lot of the things that I was saying five years ago suddenly are popping up into mainstream. So it's a little weird sometimes when you're ahead on certain things. Uh, my friend Andrew, who I used to do some comedy writing with, would always say to me, Dave, we're so ahead of the curve, we're behind it. Right. And, and sometimes I feel that way because now I see a lot of people will just be repeating things that I said five years ago, which is great because it's like, oh, I, I said something that was real that now has sort of trickled up or whatever. Uh, and then on the other hand, it's like, man, if just more people had been paying attention, maybe we wouldn't be in this 
this weird spot, but, but I'll it, take it. I'll take it. It's fashion, right? Like all the best designers are getting ready for fall 2021. Yeah. Like today. It, it's the same thing. It you is know, the same You're thing, projecting actually. what's going to be popular in 18 months to two years. Yeah. And it's weird. And I think about it sometimes. It's like, what makes some people be able to see things ahead a little bit? Because all of this stuff that we're seeing now, every, everything that we're seeing politically right now, I don't know where you fall politically and wherever you fall, even if we disagreed with literally everything, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to me. From what I know about you, you're a good guy. And I love like getting into the, the differences of opinion and all that stuff. Um, but I think what we've seen where the left has just gone so crazy, the people that used to be for free expression and for freedom of speech and for liberalism, letting people live the way they want to have now become sort of like the crazed, uh, screeching people that they always used to mock, you know? And that's not even a defense of really what's happening on the right, which is a whole other thing. But I, as I come from the left, I think most people, most young people, mm. I'm 43, how old, how old are you? 33. 33, right? So is that, are you Gen X or are you a millennial? I'm a millennial. You're I'm a, a millennial, you're Gen Y. You're X. Yeah, I'm X. I am firmly X. I'm millennial. And then it's Gen Z or the Gen teens? Z. And that, well, now there's the- And the 20 year olds? Uh, well, then, yeah. So the millennials. And then I guess there's the Zoomers that are like- What the, the fuck? The Zoomers are like- Zoom, the, That's the, a PBS that's like show the, I grew yeah. up with. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> right. That's the, the Zoomers are like the 12 year olds that are on TikTok that Yikes. are now like completely anti-establishment. Like if you go on TikTok, they all love Trump because it's like cool. It's because it's, because it's so crazy the other way. You know what I mean? They've sort of taken the pendulum and gone the other way. One of the, um, one of the most fascinating moments in 2016 was I had gone to a Hillary Clinton fundraiser and I had had this photo of me and her and Wilmer Valderrama. Ah, yes. Just saying. From uh, 70 show. Quite yeah. the meeting of the minds. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not overtly political, even on this podcast. I don't think it's like, I don't think you have to, you know, move far to, to know where my politics lie. But I, again, like I, I, I never want to polarize my audience sure. or alienate anyone. But on election day, I posted the photo of Wilmer, Hillary, and I, and I posted, uh, I said something to the effect of right or left. I think we can all agree that Wilmer Valderrama is a very handsome man. <laughs> and, you know, my followers are, I, I mean, if you looked at my insights right now, it would be 18 to 24 in the majority, 65% female, but it's all living in that sort of 16 to 30 years old. Yeah. And before this, like many, you know, liberal Democrats, my thoughts were were that the screams of Republicans were that of, of dinosaurs, mm -hmm. you know, of just like oh, an older specific type. I, I hear you. And what was revealed in the comment section of over 3,000 comments were all my followers, 80, 80 to 85% saying, lock her up. Yeah. And I remember in that moment thinking, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. And that actually is why I wasn't that surprised by the election. I, I, I was on Joe Rogan's podcast either the day of the election or the day before of the, the 2016 election. And he was asking me, like, what do you think? And I was like, oh, it's 50-50. And I think Trump definitely could win because I had had a bunch of people on my show, uh, from Scott Adams to Mike Cernovich to, to even Milo. And forgetting what you think about any of these people specifically, or even if you know them, I had just heard people that I thought were thoughtful talking about why they thought Trump was going to win or what at least the energy was behind Trump. So none of it shocked me. And the reason it shocked all the mainstream people 
was because, well, none of you guys were listening. You know what I mean? Like there was clearly something happening online and it's like, we come from the online generation, right? So I'm at the, the older end of it, but I'm, I was born out of this thing and I've been doing a YouTube thing forever. Mm. So I wasn't shocked because I don't just watch mainstream media. Um, but it's interesting because everybody was kind of thrown up in the air during that election. When I was driving, so uh, I used to live in West Hollywood. I've since moved, but my polling place for that election was in West Hollywood. So I had about a 20 minute drive to get there. And we're driving there and David, my husband, were, I live this, right? Like I live politics, right? I tell people what I think all the time and we're driving there and I'm going, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Cause mm. I really didn't want to vote for Hillary. I thought Trump was nuts. Um, but I thought Hillary was just deeply corrupt and would have just like tightened the screws on everything that I thought was wrong. And I was like, is Trump really the answer? I really did not know what to do. We get online in West Hollywood and then this is like the most like LA thing that could possibly happen. I'm standing online and who am I behind at the West Hollywood polling station? RuPaul. Great. So now I'm behind. Surprisingly tall. Extremely tall. Six, six? Extremely tall. Not in drag, obviously, just no, as regular. Just a tall. handsome man. Just a fine looking, very tall, thin man, but yes. it's RuPaul. And I go into the polling station, the, the box, the station, whatever you want to call it. And I did not know what to do. And at the last second, I thought, you know what? I'm in California. And unfortunately, because of the nature of the, demogra the demographics here, it's not going to really matter what I do. So I did the one thing that I thought I could live with, which was I voted for the libertarian Gary Johnson, who I had had on the show. And I would love to smoke a joint with the guy and go skiing with him. But he was a terrible candidate, uh, just like couldn't even explain any basic uh, thought that had anything to do with libertarianism. And he was just awful. But I was like, you know what? I can at least live with myself on that one. Um, but that's a but vote for Trump, right? Are. Uh, well, in California, it just doesn't matter. But in in essence, I just didn't want, I had to do something that I felt I could live with. And mm -hmm. at the time, I, I couldn't live with either one. I th This time, I will vote for one of the two main ones. I won't pull the third party thing this time. You're so right, because it was revealed to me, as I said in the comment section, that there was like this very active, young, you know, Trump support that that. I, I, as a liberal Democrat up until yeah. that point had been living, you know, in a bit of a fog and, and I was not seeing that. And yet, and it's funny cause, um, next week I, I have, uh, my friend Dylan Lowy, who was, um, Joe Biden's speechwriter for many years and worked in the Obama administration and a brilliant guy. And we talked to something to this effect and he said, you know, was it, or was it like, if 50,000 people had voted differently in Wisconsin and Michigan and a couple other, like, yes, there's this movement, but also like, it wasn't that far off from Hillary winning the electoral votes. And because she won 3 million more in the popular that we would have said, listen, it was a close race, but this is definitive. And this is the direction. Our right. But the going. thing is, e even if that's true and that technically that may be right, like you move 50,000 votes here and we know that, you know, these little states that he just snuck by the electoral college would have been different. And the people but even that, that yeah. but, but even that still, it would have shown that there would have been a massive movement happening, even if he would have lost, because if everyone's running around, and this is what I kept saying, you're running around, you guys are calling him Hitler. You're calling his supporters Nazis. I mean, first off, it's the most disgusting. I mean, these are the same people that are obsessed with cultural appropriation. I mean, it's the worst sort of cultural appropriation that you could actually ever do to be throwing Nazi and Hitler around constantly, um, because you degrade those those words to the point that they've become meaningless, which now they have become meaningless actually. Um, but the point is that he, it would have shown that 
let me get this straight. The mainstream media says this guy is pure evil and he still almost won. You know what I mean? Even if he had just lost, it still would have sort of led us here. What, what I'm more fascinated by is that the day after the election, I did a, we were building my home studio at the time. So I just did a little video with the, my phone. And I said, look guys, I understand everyone's crazed right now. And especially if you're a lefty or you're a liberal or, or you're just like a mainstream kind of apolitical person, you're kind of freaked out because Donald Trump's the president. So something weird sure. is going on here, right? I said, but the thing is, you got to give him a little time here because if he doesn't turn out to be Hitler, if we don't get into extra wars, if the economy doesn't crash, if, if things basically work, well, you've painted, it's not what you've done to Trump by saying all these bad things. It's what you've done to yourself because you've painted yourself into a corner because now you can't three years later, and this is sort of where we're at right now. Things are basically pretty good. We're not getting into other wars. The economy's a little weird right now because of Corona, um, but the economy's been pretty good. Things are basically going fine. And it's like, you can't suddenly be like, oh yeah, the guy I've been calling Hitler and all of his Nazi supporters, he's okay. They're, they're pretty good. So it's like you're painting yourself into a corner. It's not what you do to him. And I think that's why we see these people constantly, um, they constantly up the ante all the time. So it's always, remember we killed Soleimani, the Iranian general, for a week on Twitter, it's World War Three. Now it's gone. That was two months ago. Remember, we were having World War Three two months ago. Mm. Or net neutrality. Remember net neutrality? And now oh, well, the internet's going to be destroyed forever. Internet still seems to be here. You know, like this one's a little ahead of you, but Y2K. Remember Y2K and sure. the whole, every planes were going to be falling out of the sky and blah, blah, blah. And they, they ramp everything up to the point that then somehow you just forget about it. And then three days later, there's something new. And that's why right now, even though I know you're holding this for a little bit with Corona, it's a little bit like, how do you, how can you gauge what is actually real? It, it's like, I, for me, it's like, I don't really trust the mainstream media anymore. They pushed Russia hoax forever. Like they've blown their credibility. So it's like, I'm starting to trust online people more, but they have their own and I say this with myself too, like if you're, if you're just going for clickbait, that's a problem. Or if you're just going for eyeballs or downloads or whatever. So it's weird place to be, to be a, to be a thinking person in 2020. It's on you to try to figure out who you can trust because mainstream ain't going to do it for you. And you could end up down a real crazy rabbit hole if you, if you just follow everybody online. So there's a lot there. Well, we're also dealing with like, and this is maybe where I give a little bit of, um, I, I I allow for a little bit of fuckery amongst or hysteria <laughs> yeah. because like we're dealing with like this social media pipeline is unlike anything we've yeah. ever experienced fucking ever. Yep. Right. And when we talk about any sort of like, you know, when it came up in the last couple of weeks about, you know, Facebook allowing political ads that were, I mean, you know, basically some of which were just untruthful yeah. and taking money for it. It was like, well, yes, you can, you can use the first amendment of course, but a, it's a private business and b, like, we don't know, like we're, we're at least exploring this because we've never had a 2.5 billion person pipeline, yeah. right? Where something can be delivered and that there will be some people who will not be able to discern the fact that like, this is being targeted for me in a very specific way and right. perhaps could be untrue. So are, are you for Facebook? Uh, uh, figuring out what is true and then deciding what, what they can put on there or not? 
Here's my thoughts yeah. about it. A, it's a private company, right? Yep. So I, I don't necessarily feel as though it has to fall under the First Amendment. Yeah. Although they do tread the line of what a private company is because they have so many big uh, government contracts and we know there's backdoors into what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. But I basically agree with the premise. Yes, they're for the way we can describe it now. Yeah, they're a private company. What I would say is it's like anything, right? Is that if we, if any of the major, you know, uh, distributors of content, be it a radio station, a TV station, what, whatever. If if we found something that they were delivering us to be intentionally untrue and they were making profit from it, it would behoove us to rise up yep. and say, fuck this. Yep. You know, they're selling us lies and this is unacceptable. I think we're spoiled because many of these companies have a bit of a checks and balances in place and the legality of it leaves yep. them to say, maybe it doesn't serve us, even though this is a nice check, because we're going to get sued up the ass if we do put this out. But yeah, I think it would it would behoove Facebook to follow suit of what people people in their position in a smaller way have done historically. Yeah, I think that answer is basically the right one. I mean, it's a, let's go on the assumption they're a private company, at least for the purposes of sure. this. I mean, they are, and again, they have some weird things with the government and they, you know, they drag out Zuckerberg. Can you imagine being worth however billions, gajillions of dollars that he's worth? And every few months he has to sit in front of AOC and all of these ridiculous Congress people and ask questions and none of them know what the hell they're talking about. And he has to answer their questions. But, but putting that aside, the idea that Facebook or some sort of big entity should be basically telling us what is true is so deeply dangerous. And it's not a game that they want to play because, so if you were to say, if, if Donald Trump was to put out an ad that said there are two genders, there's male and female, those are the two biological genders. That's not anti-trans actually, it's just there are biological genders. And then if you identify as a trans person and want to transition, you're not, the, the simple truth is you're not changing your biology. The trans activists won't let you say that. And then we get caught in this stuff about um, pronouns and all that. But would it be true or false? If you were leaving it to Facebook to decide whether it's true or false. Mm. Um, so I saw Andrew Yang, who I've had on the show, who I like, I think he brought some new ideas to the table. He was sort of a centrist, a little more, a little too big government maybe for me, but like clearly a good human. And he was tweeting about how Facebook should be, um, you know, arbiting, uh, deciding what what is true or not when they do these ads. And I wrote back to him on Twitter and I said, well, well, how many genders are there? And he didn't, he didn't respond, but I think he probably got what my point is, is that I think ultimately your answer is right, which is it's on us these days. And that that's what I meant before, like, when like it's on thinking people to have to decipher what the truth is through the noise right now, that is very different than at one time when we could sort of trust the news, but Walter Cronkite's long gone. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the mainstream media has just left and we're, we're looking at institutions that a lot of us think still exist in functional ways. And they've just been like rotted out from the inside. So I wouldn't want to trust Facebook to tell me what is true. And by the way, when the, when the government tells Facebook, oh, you're going to have to do it, you know, that's the government. Then the government knows because of the first amendment that they can't tell us what we can say. So when they tell a company to do it, that's even more dangerous because then they're, you, they're applying pressures that really they don't have to then step on the first amendment. So there, there's so much stuff there. But we have like these institutions in place, like even on a smaller level, like the Better Business Bureau, right? Yeah. Protections in place for us, yeah. the consumers, so that we're not like actively fucked with. And and so it would, I would imagine 
so that it's that it would serve us perhaps to say like again we've never dealt with an information stream this broad right yeah. and i'm sure you you know we both have older jewish relatives yeah, i got a lot of old jewish relatives <laughs> <laughs> that you know like my mom will see shit on facebook and i'll be like and she'll call me in a tizzy and i'll yeah. be like read the source <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah 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 this is important for you so like to a certain extent we do we do entrust certain watchdogs or right but what you're telling her to do is read the source and that's right and then and even that that's not perfect too because something could be good for a while you know i see a lot in like online magazines or places you know where articles are put up that are good for like a year and then they start getting high on it and so they want more clicks and then they suddenly go down really quick i've seen a whole bunch of those over the last couple of years so it's it's really tough but i think your gut instinct is still the right one, which is you have to figure it out. Like through the madness, you got to try to find a couple voices that you think are decent and they might fail you at times. And then maybe you move on, maybe you don't, maybe they explain themselves. But what I think is, is true now is that young people, especially nobody cares. Like when I was growing up, and when I first started doing stand-up, I re I wanted to host the Tonight Show, right? Like everybody wanted to host the Tonight Show. Sure. That's what you wanted to do. Yeah, David Letterman wanted the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. The idea of hosting the Tonight Show now is is like ludicrous to me. Like, why would first off, why would anyone want it? Young people don't care about it anymore. You know, nobody cares what's on at eleven thirty now. Anyone that watches it is watching it to fall asleep. But the point is that these institute, like it was an institution forever, but nothing lasts forever, right? So it's like Colbert then takes over for Letterman. Letterman was pretty apolitical, but kind of subversive. Colbert is a total lefty, like it's gone completely in that route. You may like that route, you may not. But the institution of The Tonight Show, it just isn't anymore. It's an idea that we think is still kind of something. And mm. I guess if I get the call from The Tonight Show while I'm on the book tour, I guess I'll do it. Uh, although it would seem ridiculous to me, like it would actually seem ridiculous. Um, but you're doing but, but it. I, no, but I would do it, right. I'm not <laughs> sure. gonna be like, no, I'm not doing it, right? And, I, and my book people want me to sell but some be, books. It would be bigger if you went on Joe Rogan. It would be way bigger way to bigger. go on Joe Rogan. It would be way bigger for other people to do my show, to do your show. Like this is the new way people are getting these things. And it's not because we're backed by institutions. Like look at this room that we're sitting in, right? We're in a in a cool sound booth, but it's pretty small. There's no cameras. It's, it's the two of us and your producer and he's getting the hell out of here by the time we finish this thing, Please, he's already he, he, putting can his shoes on. he can walk out in the middle of this. But, but this ability to communicate with people and no commercial breaks and that I might trip over something I say here, or you might reveal something accidentally you didn't mean to. That is real. That's what, that's what people crave versus, you know, 6.30, ABC, NBC, CBS, all kind of saying the same thing. They slightly reorder it. And a certain amount of people just watch it because they always have. And I'm not saying all these people are bad. I'm not saying all the institutions are bad, but there is a reason they're all crumbling. And it it is mostly their fault. It is mo just this morning I saw Chris Hayes on MSNBC. He tweeted out that if, you know, basically in effect, that if you if you call it the Wuhan virus, that that's racist. Now, first off, there are articles where MSNBC, his employer, is calling it Wuhan just from a few weeks ago. CNN's been calling it Wuhan. I mean, plenty of people have. For, Wuhan is not a race also. It's a city in China. Sure. And even if they called it the China outbreak or whatever, the China virus, that wouldn't be racist. That It's a nationality, not a race. That's also putting that aside. Um, but this rush to make everything about race and, and to keep us just like angry at each other all the time. 
um, it's part, it's, it's infecting all of the institutions. It's infecting colleges. I mean, Harvard now, you know, they put these, these, uh, policies in place that if you're Asian, they want less Asian students. So they can, they actually have policies that make it harder to be an Asian student. Why should we be punishing people based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their religion? I thought that's that MLK guy. Remember that guy? He was totally against that. But for some reason, now we think it's okay. So, but they, but ultimately, what they'll do is they'll end up bringing in less qualified people, the Asian students who work very hard, who were never given anything. It's not like Asians came here from Korea or Japan or China and some, somehow were given some special package. They worked really hard. They they studied. They care about education and family, and they've succeeded. Why would we punish people because of that? Uh, but, but that's how all of this is. That's why all of this is related. I. I I, bef- I do want to talk about that, but before we leave the Facebook thing, yeah. I, I want to ask you, like, we do have these institutions in place, right, where there is a certain level of trust because, and Malcolm Gladwell has talked a lot mm-hmm. about this with his new book, where like, anyone who says they're good at spotting or catching a liar is fucking lying. <laughs> we're terrible at it. Yeah. As the human race, we're awful at it. Like, we believe 95% of things we hear on a daily basis at all times, because we have to. Yeah. Otherwise, we would literally be like, you know, our rudimentary animal selves where everything is a threat at all times, right? So assuming that's true, Mm -hmm. that like living in this world where any piece of information that comes in has to be like properly vetted seems exhausting and like, and not quite But I don't know what the better option is. I don't know what the better option is. I don't like central planning. I, Mm. I don't like the idea. I like bottom up. Like, so this is a, this is where I would say, uh, so politically, I, I describe myself as a classical liberal, which I, I would be happy to get into. I would say it's a, it's a libertarian with maybe a little more of like a, just a realistic streak. Because if you go too far down the libertarian thing, you have no government, you end up in Mad Max. And I think there's yeah, an interesting- Ayn Rand. Yeah, and, and I think that, by the way, I think there's a really interesting um, intellectual exercise there. I think it's actually pretty intellectually clean and um, and makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I just don't think it's the most realistic thing. And- and I would also say that classical liberalism, basically individual freedom, individual rights and human freedom with just the enough government guardrails is exactly what the founders wanted. I think that's why America still after 200 plus years is the greatest freest country that more people want to come to and nobody wants to leave, right? Lena Dunham's still here. These people don't leave. They never leave. Alyssa Milano is still here. Like they're all here. They never go. Um, but where, where the hell was I going with that? There was a point in there somewhere. Oh man. <laughs> You'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you looked at me when I said Alyssa Milano, and I'm wondering if you guys are suddenly friends. That popped in my head. First of all, I've always wished I was friends with (laughs) Alyssa Milano, but not necessarily for politics. No, because your your eye kind of lit up when I said that. No, no. And then I I thought, ah, he's friends with Alyssa Milano, and then I lost my train of thought. I was thinking about the Joe Rogan joke where he said uh, something to the effect of like, if the forefathers saw us 200 years, you know, after, and we're you didn't change shit. Right, right, right. We wrote it with a feather. Yeah, (laughs) you know what? It's a it is a good joke, and I saw it, but but I actually the premise I think is actually wrong. Because it's not that we well, first off, we did change it. We've mm. added we've added uh, amendments. The, amendments and things over the course of years. So we've expanded people's voting rights and all sorts of freedoms, right? We always expand freedoms. We've never taken away freedoms with the most crazy uh, few exemptions to that, like you know, Japanese internment and things like that, which which was a temporary thing. It was a horrible thing, but it was a temporary thing. We always expand more freedom so black people can vote and women can vote and gay marriage and and things like that. Um, anyway, now now I remember where I was going, which is that I believe in bottom up, meaning that I want 
you to live whatever life you want to live as long as you're not infringing on my freedoms. And that's how I believe that everyone should live. And then we start with everything local. That's why states' rights are important. That's why you should care more about who your local congressman is, which I would bet something like 80%, if not more, Americans have no idea who their local congressman is. Ted Lou, Ted Lou. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Ted Lou, you're him. lucky. Teddy yeah, Lou. lucky. Yeah, Ted and I West don't get along LA. very well. Um, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but, but you should care about mm about Ted Lieu in your district, right? And I won't name my congressman because I don't want people to know exactly where I live. Sure. But um, but the point is that I believe that if you start from the bottom, you can build something up. I don't like central planning coming down below. And that's that's what the founders feared the most. We left a king who basically could do everything, make every decision for people. And this is the way, by the way, that I would want the internet to be, um, that we would have as much autonomy as possible and I just don't trust, I don't trust that Facebook will do the right thing just because they have a board of diversity or or Google at one time, what was their policy? Do no evil or we are good. Still or, is, yeah, yeah do like no all, evil. All of those things, well, do no evil. What, what is it? It's meaningless. It sounds good. But I think we're fed these days, like just a lot of platitudes that all kind of sound right. We're for diversity. We're for all these, they were for women. For, for women, it doesn't mean anything else. Everyone wants women to be equal and treated decently. You know, I guess there's a sliver of people that don't want that but like you're for women well you know this is something you hear from like lefties like i'm for women well are you for nikki haley or are you for sarah huckabee sanders or megan mccain or candace owens you, you're for women that behave the way you want them to you actually hate women who you know who you disagree with so there's just like a plethora of just like big slogans that we're hit with all the time and that's why i would prefer that everyone just kind of stay out of everybody's life and then we need some laws we need some laws to make sure the states aren't warring with each other and make sure you know property rights and things like that but beyond that i i really think that's how most people want to live i think that's how most people actually do live with the exception of how we all behave on twitter or something like that this is something I'm fascinated about, and I don't know if you listen to him or, or maybe he's too far from your politics, but like, I love Scott Galloway. Um, I, I don't know him, actually. He's a, He does a podcast with Kara Swisher called Pivot. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, He wrote yeah. The Algebra of Happiness. He's yeah. a really, really smart. He's a professor at, at uh, NYU, and he talks about how you look at someone like Bezos, right, who benefited from our, our, our tax law in building his company, right? Yeah. And then he builds his unbelievable company and becomes the richest man in the world and then has all his money in stock and never cashes in that stock so he doesn't have to pay capital gains tax and takes a billion dollar line of credit from JP Morgan so that he doesn't have to and then he can write off the interests on that just so he doesn't have to cash in his stock yeah and basically and 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 then Amazon doesn't pay taxes now obviously the yeah. prosperity that they've introduced into the workforce and into America is massive that goes without saying yeah by the way Amazon is paying taxes throughout the year they're talking about income tax but Amazon is paying payroll taxes and all sorts of other things sure and the employees that Amazon creates all pay taxes too but I get I get what they're saying at the end of the year Amazon's not writing a big check to the government yeah but uh, you know what Galloway says to, to a certain extent it's like we we be, he benefited from these laws like it, he benefited from these laws that were in place to allow him to prosper and then when he you know got over a certain tipping point there was a lack of paying it forward and i think like it's not illegal right it's not illegal that donald trump didn't pay a certain amount of income right. tax they right. game the screwed up system you can't you know they game the system don't hate the player beautifully yeah but like, then the government goes, well done, yeah. you got us, right? Because we're the government and we're always going to be behind. 
But like now we're going to evolve and yeah. like change it up a little. And everyone goes, oh, you're moving the line. Yeah. And they're like, you fucked us. Right. Like you gamed us good. And now we're going to change the lines. And guess what? You'll game us again in 10 years. Well, they will game them again. And again, that see, that's not but a good that to, Well, the, to me, I don't consider that really an argument for government. It, it's an argument for the inefficiency of government. That government is always behind. You can only create a set of rules, right? So you create a set of rules. And then what a good player of a game. I mean, think about a video game. Like you learn how to play a game or a board game, anything, and you'll figure out the best way around it. So yes, I agree. Like, could there be a better system so that Jeff Bezos doesn't have to have all that money? I, I'm not sure ethically that even makes sense because the amount of goodness and worth and jobs and economic prosperity that this guy has created is unimaginable. And my brother has, my brother-in-law has a small salmon jerky company up in Tacoma, Washington. And they use the Amazon marketplace. So they create this, uh, you know, wild caught sustainable salmon jerky. It's actually quite good. It's called wild merman salmon jerky. They create it. And then they are able to sell it using the, the marketplace that sure. Amazon has created. So people will always come into Amazon's crushing small businesses. Actually, there's thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of, if not millions, I have no idea how of small businesses that use the marketplace that Amazon created. So then Amazon, you know, pays their employees pretty well. Um, you get all your stuff, right? I mean, every day boxes keep showing up to my house. My studio's in my house. There's always some wire we need or some drive we need or something. Things seem to show up there within a couple hours. This morning, uh, well, it was salmon again, but I got salmon delivered to my door, fresh salmon from Whole Foods that's now owned by Amazon. So I'm not defending every little piece of all the ways they can get away all these things and capital gains. And I'm also, I'm not, I'm not an economist and, and all that, but I would say broadly speaking, I would just want people to get out of the way. You earn something, keep, whatever you earn, Josh Peck, I want you to keep more of it. Like you should keep more of it. I think you have a much better understanding of how to live your life and keep the money that you work hard for than anyone else. And then if you want to donate more to homelessness, let's say, right? LA, uh, we're in Hollywood right now. I mean, it's becoming a real shithole out there. I mean, the homeless situation is out of control. Um, I was just up in San Francisco. I saw people shooting up on the street. I mean, California, we're, we're watching the results of progressive policies that always say, oh, we're going to help poor people and all this, except that's where always the worst homelessness is always. Well, and it's the in major everywhere. cities because that's where people it, it, are. It's not in Salt Lake City. It's not, it's not in Dallas. It's not, it's not is in the more- Is that comparable? Yeah. Are, yeah. Are, but are these cities comparable to somewhere like New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco? Well, New York, but I mean, I lived in New York City most of my life. New York City didn't have it under Giuliani. It had it under Dinkins before him, a progressive, and then Giuliani cleaned it up. And now we have de Blasio and Bloomberg basically kept it under control. And now I don't know the last time you were in New York City is, but it's exploding again because we have another progressive in Bloomberg and you're not, you know, you can, now you can jump the turnstile and we won't arrest you. It's like, or arrest you or, or fine you or whatever. And it's like, all these policies, they kind of sound right. We kind of want to help poor people more and you should be able to jump a turnstile if you don't have the money. It sort of sounds right. But then you're just incentivizing bad behavior and then you get more and more and more and more of this. So anyway, back to, back to Amazon though. I just think they've created something with unimaginable wealth. And like, does anyone need as much money as Bezos has? And he can pro he probably has several islands and helicopters and yachts and all those things. No, but think about the amount of people that he just employs 
in his life. But you if know, there's and, no, and all of those things. If there's no governments, what governance? What stops? Well, I don't say him? no governments. This again, this is why I would say no. I'm, a, I'm a classical liberal and not a libertarian because I don't think I don't think you can or should deconstruct all of that. I think you want a slim trim government. So when they always, when the Democrats, oh, well, Bernie, I need $780 billion for Medicare for all. And they just make up numbers, right? Bernie's never built anything. He's never employed, right? Anybody. I have, I'm a small business. I've employed some people. So I have more qualifications to run something than Bernie Sanders does. He, he's good at complaining about things, right? Like there's nothing like an old Jew complaining about things. That He's like your uncle that's never done anything that just knows how to run the world, banging his fists at the Passover table or something. Like that's all he's ever all he's ever done. But that's not um, rare in, in politics necessarily, right? Like we No, over- that, but that's again, that's why politics sucks because we should have people that get things done. So Trump, love him, hate him, whatever it is. Trump is an executive. Now you could say, well, Trump steak failed and Trump water went nowhere and blah, blah, uh, kind blah. Kind of everything. Yeah, but he also built a lot of things and built, and then he writes off losses and takes advantage of all of those things. But, but I think most people would say Trump is willing to make decisions, right? Like he makes decisions and that's what the executive branch, right? The president is in charge of the executive branch. That's what he's supposed to do. But you and I growing up in New York know a lot of fucking people that are quick with responses. They're not always the best. No, they're definitely not the best. That's for me, sometimes my, my, a little bit of what irks me about the Trump of it all with the people that voted for him, because people are so fucking impressed with themselves that they saw their image in Trump. They were like, he talks like me. (laughs) And I'd be a good fucking president. The difference is I don't want my president to be like me. Yeah. Like I want my president to be measured because I am the guy that's going to explode in in road rage and be impulsive and like have moments and write the wrong tweet at times. I actually want my president to be a little bit more measured and thoughtful. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, so I, so I agree with you, right? Like if, if Thomas Jefferson was alive, I would probably vote for Thomas Jefferson. You know what I mean? Who was writing incredible uh, essays that were freeing the slaves, who, by the way, at the same time, he owned slaves and and was having relations with at least one, um, which in modern day would be considered rape. Mm. Um, so, you know, they'll come for Thomas Jefferson one day, which they've tried already, or they'll come for everyone on Mount Rushmore, or they'll come, by the way, for Barack Obama, who the first time he ran for president, he was against gay marriage. So, you know, they're building the Obama library in Chicago right now. And it's like the progressives of 2040, when they find out that Barack Obama, the president in 2013, was against gay marriage, they're going to want to tear down his library too. So yes, would I like a president that, everyone liked Obama, right? Like he looked good, he spoke well, it clear, it seemed like he was banging his wife, like all of it seemed very nice, but he lied in a lot of, you know, Syria red line, and if you like your health care, you can keep it, but he lied the way we like them to lie. Like it was, he lied through like, oh, you're a politician and you just lie about stuff. Trump lies every day, constantly. I have no doubt about that. He lies in a different way. But what I think about Trump sort of is that he's just doing the dirty work that all the liberals need him to do. Because Trump's not a far right maniac. Trump's keeping the wheels on America. Like Trump loves this country. Look how good it's been for his family. And I actually think that one of the biggest problems that Democrats are going to have come election time, and it's a little bit softer now because now that it looks like it won't be Bernie, but had it been Bernie, it would have been like this guy who I think actually dislikes America. He likes Denmark and Sweden. He likes these places that I don't even know if he's ever been to that are tiny countries that are deeply different than America. 
And Trump would have just had to gone up there and been like, I love America. And Bernie would have been basically screaming how much he hates America. Like they can't, if you watch these debates, they can't say anything good about America. If it's Biden putting aside the cognitive issues, which seem to be getting worse and worse, Biden, I think at least loves America. And he occasionally talks about the constitution and freedom and things like that. So it'll be a little bit better. But in a weird way, I think, I think Trump wanted Bernie because then it's like, yeah, it's me or the socialist. Let's do it. But don't you think Biden, especially his surge over the last week and a half, speaks to the realities of like, and your sort of, your take on things, and, and it's become more and more popular about, and your views on the left and the progressives, when the reality is- Yes, I'm having a bit of a nice moment here because people are starting to agree with what I've been screaming about. A little yeah. bit. I will say, like, I was listening to you at, at uh, I think you were interviewed at Liberty University. Mm -hmm. And like you talk about that, you you qualify that with the Prager you guys. Is there a part of you that feels a little bit like Russia in World War II in the respect <laughs> of they're like, let's let's just use um, them now. We're on the same side. But as soon as this fucking thing is over, Cold War, he's our enemy again. Um, it's got to be in the back yeah, of your head slightly. I can't. Uh, I mean, totally honestly, there's not none of that that is in my head. I would say when this first started happening, so when I first started waking up and, and really seeing this identity politics thing with the left and seeing the creep of socialism and seeing, and then really understanding what is, in, what is American versus, versus the ideas that they're trying to import here. And then I started talking about it. I was absolutely shocked to find all of these people on the right that wanted to talk to me. Now, is there some level of, does it play well for them to have a gay person that agrees with them on some things? Is there a PR version of that that plays well just at that level? Well, of course there is. But the idea that that would define all of this or that they, that somehow all of them, I mean, everyone that I meet, again, I traveled, uh, you know, I'm about to go on tour again, but I traveled the country with Jordan Peterson, meeting all of these people, most of whom were conservatives, or I would say ex-lefties, it's ex-lefties that are now conservative, really, um, that they're all suddenly hiding their hatred of gays, really, so that because they have this one and, he, and he's going to slowly help them. I mean, that's like, you know, you, it would be the same thing like Candace Owens, you know, it's like uh, if the left, if the right is supposed to hate black people, but they've embraced her, is there some some PR version, some veneer version of this that it it is optically good for them. But guess what? There are incredible people, economists like Thomas Sowell, who I've had on the show, who's 80 some odd years old, who happens to be a black man, who's a libertarian economist, who's been screaming about this forever. There's Larry Elder. There's my friend, David Webb. I mean, these are just a few black conservatives that I could name. Um, so I can't say that there's absolutely nothing to what you're saying is there some is there some true like real christian conservative out there that sees like a utility in using a gay person for now and then we'll throw them under the bus eventually i suppose that could exist but to get to exactly where you started this i went to liberty university I spoke in front of 14,000 evangelical Christians, Jerry Falwell Jr. up there, the, the, the dean of the school up there. These people were incredibly nice, incredibly gracious. Yeah, did, when I walked around campus after, did a few people say they were gonna pray for me? Yeah, I don't know if they actually meant my sexuality. I think they say this to a lot of people. Like, I'm, like they were like, oh, I love what you do. I'm gonna pray for you, meaning my continued success. But maybe some of them meant it about my sexuality. But I would say either way, uh, it, it, the other thing is about this that it's um, it's almost like insulting to my own ability to think, to to really go too far down that. Like, 
maybe I'm using them. You know, like if you really want to play it that way, like maybe I'm using them to make them a little saner. I'm not. But by the way, I mean, in the book, I lay out these differences I have. Like to think about it, they know that I went up there, these evangelicals, forget gay marriage. They know that I'm pro-choice and they still invited me. Show me where that happens on the other side. It just doesn't happen on the other side. It, it doesn't. So it's a good question. It really is. And all, all I can do is consistently say what I think and hopefully find the right people along the, uh, along the ride that kind of dig it. But do you, feel, do you feel that being Jewish and gay and believing the things that you do, it, it also weirdly, I don't want to say protects you, but like it's this interesting qualifier in the sense of if you were just another white Christian guy with these beliefs, it would seem as though you were you fell into this the old guard um there may again there may be some version of that but i would say that's a flip on identity politics right that that is the right at some level using identity politics because it's using it against the people that are obsessed with identity politics so like when when if candace owens was white would she have the cultural effect that she is having uh, saying the exact same things probably not but it's pretty powerful for a young black woman to get up there and say, I mean, literally the same thing that Kanye said, which is simply black people don't have to be Democrats. Um, that's a pretty powerful thing to say. It's, it's a ridiculous thing to have to say, but it shows you how out of whack our, our politics are. Um, but by the way, right now, I mean, again, and I don't like using these, these immutable characteristics as a thing. Religion is slightly different because religion is mutable because you can convert or, um, you know, not believe in anything or whatever else. Um, but on the, on the Jewish front, I mean, the left is now stuck in what I would say is about two years behind what the UK just went through, where the worst sort of genuine anti-Semites, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, these people truly, their obsession with Israel, it, it has, it's not, oh, we like Jews, but we're just obsessed with this place that has half the world's Jews. That's the tiniest little sliver, the size of New Jersey, that without the West Bank is about six miles wide. And every single person that lives in the country is under the threat of a rocket hitting. And they've lived through stabbings and bus bombings and suicide, blah, blah, blah. And if only they would give up more land, everything would be okay. It's such what's nonsense. The I mean, they're what's voted the in. They're, they didn't win in a coup, right? Isn't this echoing your feelings of like we're allowing them because they won an election to have their voice. And if we want them out, we'll vote them out. Are you talking about Ilhan Omar and Tlaib? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I hope that I, well, that's what I think could happen here. I've, I've often said to, to many of my friends that still consider themselves on the left. So some of the lefties that I've had on many times, like Sam Harris and the Weinstein brothers and some of those guys, like it's clear I've, I wouldn't say I've necessarily moved to the right. I've moved to the right economically, which we already hit on, but I would say most of my beliefs are pretty, pretty much the same. But I think once you start once you start really seeing what freedom is, what real freedom is, I think the, the course will move you to the right. You know, there's that saying, if you're not a liberal in your 20s, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative in your 30s, you have no brain. I don't mm. think that it, it's just like a bumper sticker version of what I think ultimately happens to people if they start thinking. No, the data suggests. Yeah. I mean, and, and this the is what right. happens. Because, well, that's the thing. If you look at any of Bernie's tweets, look at any of, you know, all the believe all women, believe all black people, blah. It's like, none of it means anything. Believe all women. Really? So every woman is, is naturally a truth teller. Sure. So believe all black people or whatever it is. It's like, that's crazy. The same way, believe all white people. Imagine if someone started saying that, believe all white people, believe all men. We would think these things are crazy, but they've just tricked us into these, these bumper sticker things that, that if you think about it for two seconds, 
make no sense. But I don't have it at my fingertips, but the right, I mean, uh, the wild shit that yeah. has been put out by senators, you know, people in the House. I mean, they. if we're talking about wild shit that's been um, uh, sort of perpetrated, the, the right is just as guilty yeah. of this. Well, but see, what? See, that's the thing. First off, again, it's funny how this is. This always gets framed. It's just the nature of it. If you start talking about the left, people then think that no, you're, what you're I'm giving saying a wholesale is, is that defense. People, unfortunately, yeah. are fallible, and we yeah. have a system like we've never had before over the last seven years that allows your dumb, instantaneous thoughts yes. to be projected out into the world, and we're all guilty of it as humans. So that's why the subtitle of the book is "Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason." Because I, I'm not even sitting here telling you, telling you specifically, or anyone listening to this, that I want you to believe all of the things that I'm putting out here or, but check them for yourselves. I mean, watch, watch interviews with, you can watch my interview with Thomas Sowell if you want to learn something about economics, but you don't have to watch mine. I mean, there's a million other interviews of his out there. Like there's so many other places, but this is, this sort of brings it back to where we started, which is it's on you to figure these things out. Um, but what I would say again, is that what I think is happening on the right right now is sort of a defense of American, it's oddly a defense of American liberalism. Um, so I went to uh, West Palm Beach. I spoke at a Turning Point USA event. Turning Point is a, it's the largest college conservative gathering, largest college conservative group. This, this was their largest gathering, their end of year thing, right before Christmas. So this is like three or four days after the impeachment started. And I spoke in the morning and then it was announced, it was announced the night before that Trump was going to speak there. So I spoke in the morning and then a bunch of speeches were canceled and then Trump spoke. So basically I spoke right before Trump. And I, I was in the audience when Trump spoke, I was right there. And I, it's interesting when you see these things for real, as opposed to what the media gives you on them. So Trump goes up there for like an hour and a half and, you know, he has a teleprompter, but he's, you know, just veering in and out and he goes on his like crazy tangents and all that. But you've been around a lot of standups. The guy really, in many ways, is a stand-up. Not the world's greatest stand-up, but a very effective stand-up. So he does this thing up there about how he's like, you know, he starts talking about windmill technology. And he's like, you know, I know more about windmills than anybody. I've studied windmills and blah, 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 windmills. And then I turned to David and I was like, you know, I guarantee you the, ne the headlines tomorrow are all going to be Trump knows more about anybody uh, than windmills. about windmills, right? Knows more about windmills than anybody. And of course that's what it was. But if you listen to the context of the full speech, he's joking purposely. I know more about windmills than everybody. Everybody in the audience laughs. No one taking him literally. Anyway, so to be, so, but if you just do the headline thing, which again gets to the way we consume news, right? And that we never read the articles. We just get the headline. Then it's like, oh, Trump says, Trump's a liar. He obviously has never studied windmills. Anyway, uh, after the event, uh, Trump Jr. is there and I've become kind of friendly with him and he's been on my show and he said, would you and David like to join me and Kimberly uh, Guilfoyle, his girlfriend, at dinner tonight at Mar-a-Lago? So we go to dinner at Mar-a-Lago and I, Mar -a Lago is just like a scene like you can't even imagine. I mean, first off, the Secret Service and you got to go from one place to a golf cart and cars are checked and all of that stuff. You go in, um, there's a room, a main room, well, you know, it's over the top. It looks, it's like Trump, you know, it's like, it looks like Trump's hair and like the whole place, it's gold and shiny and, you know, it's just everything you would think it would be. We go into the first dining room, there's maybe 60 people in there, that's the bigger dining room, and we walk through and then there's a little foretop for us in this other room, there's only about 20 people in there. And Trump is one of the people there and he's sitting right next to us with Rudy Giuliani and uh, Melania is there. Anyway, we have a really nice dinner. I, I really like Junior. I think he's funny. I think he gets it. He's he's fighting for what he believes in, for whatever our differences are. 
at the end of the meal, he says, you want, you want to meet my dad? I was like, uh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to meet the president. So we walk up to Trump. He's sitting there. This is two or three days after impeachment has been announced. He has no tie on. He's laughing hysterically with Giuliani. They're having a ball. Meanwhile, every article is like, Trump's unraveling because of, uh, you know, impeachment. Junior goes up to him. He says, hey, dad, I want to introduce you to Dave Rubin. He's a great podcast, blah, blah, blah. Trump's sitting. He looks up at me and he's like, it's like, I, I kind of recognize you, kind of recognize you. I was like, oh, well, I'm on uh, Tucker a lot. He goes, oh, that must be it. Then he turns to David, my husband, who's standing next to me. He goes, and who are you? And David goes, well, I'm, I'm his husband. He goes, husband, you two are married? He goes, slams his hands on the table. He goes, I want to stand up and shake both your hands. Thank you for being here. He shakes both of our hands and he goes, I just want you guys to know that I don't give a shit. I don't think anyone else has given a shit for 20 years. And I think it's just great. I think it's just great just great. Then Melania is sitting across the table and she keeps pointing at David. So he walks around the table, starts talking to her. And then Trump Jr. gets pulled aside for a second. So now it's just me and Trump. And we had about 10 minutes and we talked about politics. And at the time, Bloomberg was just at the beginning of getting in. And we talked about a bunch of stuff. And the guy was totally nice and friendly and whatever. So uh, the, point, the point of all that is, I think a lot of the anti-gay stuff that we think is on the right um, I think is is just sort of made up. And, and Trump is the first president to ever come in as a first term president and be for gay marriage. They're not they're not coming for the gays. They're really not. They're not. But, and and it doesn't mean that there isn't again some religious somebody somewhere. Um, but you know we could play another version of this, which would be you know that you've got Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all these people screaming about gay rights. And do either one of their mosques ever have done a, a gay wedding? Of course not. Right? Of course not. But no one's going to talk about that. I right? mean, it feels like a false equivalent equivalency in the respect of like, how did gay marriage get pushed through? Like, was it on any Republican agendas over the last? No, no. So I've I've talked about this decades. many times. Republicans completely Republic. Look, both sides often, almost always, fail to live up to their standards. So I would have preferred years ago Republicans. The Libertarians really should have been screaming that. The guy who really failed here was Rand Paul. Rand Paul is the number one libertarian in the Senate, and he should have been screaming for years about gay marriage, at least at a states' rights level. It would have been perfectly co uh, congruent with his set of ideas. I believe in states' rights, limited government. I want people to live how they want to live. He should have been screaming, but he has to remain a Republican for election purposes, so he didn't do it. Now what the what the Republicans mostly do, and, and by the way, I mean this with my friends, so like Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro, now they take the libertarian approach. Now that gay marriage happened and they see that the, the ship has sailed, they're like, oh, well, I just don't want the government involved. Now they didn't really take that position. So you're totally right that both sides have a certain set of ideals and almost always fail to live up to those ideals. But that being said, Nobody's screaming about it. Something well, in, happened in your, and it changed. You in know? your contained, and, and I, would, I would say this too, and I found this to be true, that like a guy who lives in a part of the world who has no interaction with, as far as he knows, gay people, gay marriage and whatnot, can easily vote to what his best interest is and what he might believe on a core level, which is like perhaps gay people don't deserve the same rights. Right. But if put in a room with you or... Ellen or anyone yeah. else. Oh, they're good gays. Yeah. They well, would, I don't think lesbians should have the same rights. That's a whole enough. other story. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a bit much. <laughs> but like, they would never ever have the balls or the gall to tell them what they really believe. So mm -hmm. it's like face to face, people are rarely as strong oh, as they are behind the veil of the internet or you know, I just realized their... I should be more funny here. I'm being too serious. No, I'll start no. being funny now. But, um... I, I, but like, <laughs> did you coin the phrase the intellectual dark web? 
So Eric Weinstein actually came up with the phrase, but it was sort of born in my garage. But yeah. I'm interested, like, yeah. and if you look at, and I'm a big fan of all you guys, yeah. from you to Shapiro, like even, you know, I'm a, I'm a lefty lib Democrat. Yeah. I listen to Ben for counterpoint, like, just so I can make sure that I'm not like completely off my rocker. <laughs> and like, and you look at, and even like, you know, obviously Peterson, but Rogan has been put in that category mm -hmm. too. And like you hear Rogan, right? Who like you guys can chop it up and like agree on so many things. Sure. But he basically endorsed Bernie. W yeah. One of his biggest endorsements. It was a little odd the, the whole thing though, because all he really said was that Bernie's been consistent over the years. And if so, he was going to vote, he'd vote. If he was going to vote left, he'd vote for Bernie. Yeah. Which but, seems really strange to me that you could sit down with so many brilliant people like Peterson and Shapiro and all sorts of other people. And then you end up going for the socialist. But I'll, I'll discuss that with Joe some other time. I'm but sure. that's interesting. The like, for me, I feel like like you and I live in the same orbit and yeah. I've just, I'm like, I'm not done with my party. Like yeah. I, I, I'd rather try to fix it from the inside and there's still a part of me that limits, you know, my ability in which to vote for Trump. For Josh, I totally years. love that. I really love that. And by the way, I have said that on my show many times. I think I started saying this before to, to some of my lefty guests like Sam and the Weinstein brothers. I have said this before. If you guys think that you can fix the left from the inside, Go for it. And if five years from now, the left has suddenly reconfigured itself into a sensible, moderate party that has purged most of the bad guys and actually fights for the working class again and has some understanding of constitutional rights and all of those things, and the, and the right has suddenly gone off the deep end and Trump destroyed the whole thing or whatever, and I have to come crawling back, I will t gladly take the ending of the story. I will, I truly mean that. I will have a mea culpa, guys, let me back in, please, and blah, 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 and maybe I don't get let back in. But I actually am completely okay with that. Uh, I've had this debate privately with many of those guys many times uh, because they see me now as someone thought of as moving to the scary right, right? And it's like... Uh, well, I see fertile ground there. I see fertile ground with people like Dennis Prager and his wife came to my house where I am married with my husband for Shabbat dinner. And now I'm, I'm supposed to be told that Dennis Prager uh, hates gay people. You know what I mean? Um, it's, just, it's just all bananas stuff. But without, we already touched on all that stuff. But my point is I have found fertile ground with these people. I love the, the, the ability to agree to disagree. I think actually what, what you're, throwing at me here, which is freaking wonderful. This is what I love more than anything else. I mean, this, what we're doing right now, there's very few of you left. I hate to tell you that. There's very few lefties that are still willing to do this in, in an honest way without sitting across from someone and calling them racist and a bigot and the rest of it. So if you and a couple guys are able to fix the whole thing and, and say, I was, I'm always a liberal Democrat and I'm a lefty and I'm always here and we're going to fix the damn thing, then so be it. But it seems to me that even though they've basically taken out Bernie this time, the bad ideas of leftism, of collectivism, of socialism, those are the ideas that the, the 16, 17, 18 year olds are, are feeling right now. So if you think it's bad now, I think it's going to get much worse. And the fact that they're throwing up old, you know, partially senile uh, Biden to be the firewall against this thing, this is almost the last gasp of the, of the old school Democrat. 
But it's, um, I mean, but the numbers, the numbers support that there are, there are many people like me. I think the voices of the ultra left and the ultra right. Then take them right, out, take, get, get cracking. But I really mean that. But what I'm saying is, it's like Twitter is actually only 10% mm-hmm. of the people. Like it feels like the loudest voices, yeah. but when it comes down to it, it's like black people in the South saving us from ourselves. Right. Like every so, turn. So I totally hear that. And by the way, this is exactly what the election just showed us, right? Because if you were thinking on Twitter, if you were just a Twitter person, right? Then you would go, wait a minute, all the Bernie bros and the support for Bernie's off the rails. You can't find one person on, on Twitter who likes Biden. So this wouldn't really make much sense. Well, I guess you can find a couple people, a couple celebrities, but like, you can't find like real, like grassroot people that seem to like Biden on Twitter. But that's your point that real people exist in the real world. And Twitter is just a tiny, a tiny slice of this. Um, I just think it will be impossible for you guys to hold the sane left. I think something has happened. The system has been fully infected and the the, the parasite is, is taking over the host. But I truly wish you luck and I will always be there. Like I want, you know, Peterson would always talk about this when we were on tour. He would say, it doesn't matter if you're on the left or on the right. You want healthy tension between the sides. You want, a, you want opponents, intellectual opponents that can push and pull you. And you want to feel that all the time so that, so that you don't get the excesses of either side, right? So the excesses of the right would be, we're going to freaking dismantle government altogether. And as I said, we're going to end up in Mad Max, something like that. You don't want that. Maybe some libertarians want that. The excesses of the left are that the government is going to absolutely take over everything and control every facet of your life. So you want that push and pull. And by the way, the right-left thing is sort of played out at this point. I would say it's basically your libertarian or authoritarian. I don't mean libertarian like from the libertarian party. I mean, libertarian meaning you believe in individual rights, you believe in yourself versus authoritarian meaning you think that somebody else, some sort of governmental bureaucratic something knows what is good for you, something like that. But you want that, you want that. So I think it's totally uh, honorable and decent and the rest of it. I just don't see it anymore. Um, But who the hell knows, you know? But do you think it's slightly like, it feels a little idealistic when it, it, like using your interaction with Donald Trump or, you know, I don't know, Dennis Prager or like Shapiro in, in the respect of like, that your interaction with them is a projection of what the the feeling is in the country. Like, I I don't, like, I don't. What do you mean? Like, I think it would be ridiculous for Donald Trump to do anything different than kind of what he did, right? Which was just to, you know, he he's a big fan of moments like that, if you think about Trump. Like, right. But are you saying that you don't think Donald Trump likes gay people? Or no, do you, no, no, or no. You think, I, do you I'm think not, he's fundamentally against gay marriage or something? I think that more- I don't think he cares. I, I, I actually I agree don't think you. he cares for a I split think second. I think you would be more susceptible on- that side to the exactly the the interaction you had, which is that most people would have you over for dinner and they would vote against your interest. I see. I just don't see it anymore. I just genuinely don't see it anymore. I, I know what you're saying. We sort of hit on this before, but well, first off, the gay marriage thing. You know, the, we what we do in America is we expand rights and then we move on. Nobody is coming to suddenly reverse gay marriage. It, it, it would be, first of all, the logistical impossibility of it, uh, you know, there would be a gajillion reasons why it would be virtually impossible to do. I don't care, truly, I really mean this. I've said this to Ben Shapiro's face in my studio. I don't care if Ben Shapiro thinks I'm a sinner. I don't care. What I want is him not to legislate my life. If his position now is I don't want the government involved, 
Ben is not talking about gay marriage on his show every day. He never talks about it. He only talks about it when people call him an anti-gay bigot. But it's like he does not care less, he, sure. you know? And so he can he's entitled to whatever his own belief system is. Jerry Falwell Jr. doesn't have to love gay marriage, but what, you know, did he invite me because I'm I'm a good patsy for him to be able to speak with no reservations to his fourteen thousand students? I mean, is it is it is he so freaking brilliant? And and I'm just like some idiot wandering around like talking to people that are seemingly nice. I just don't think I just don't think that's the case. I think part these people it, have changed, but it's part of it, right? It's got to be. I just don't that. I see so much more hatred on the left that it's 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 so hard for me to understand that now. And yet I used to think the way you think. So I'm I'm really trying to get there. Um I the amount of hate that I get from lefties every single day um is is unimaginable. But I thought they're supposed to be for gay people. Um but you know, like but where, where, they're not hating you for being gay. Um well no, I, a lot of them oh you're you're a self-hating gay. I get that one a lot. Uh, I'm a self-hate. I must hate myself because I'm gay because they're, other people seem to not care about my marriage and you guys are obsessed with it. But they want to use it as a cudgel. They want to say, see, we fought for gay marriage, so you better freaking stay on your knees forever. I mean, they really want gay people to stay on their knees forever. There's a gay joke in there that I'll just let be. But you know what I mean? That's, <laughs> Please that's what, it. Yeah. Kevin wants it. <laughs> Kevin. Um, but, <laughs> that's, but, that, but that's what they want. They, they think if we give you equality, we own you forever. That's why, they, that's why if you try to walk as a gay person, me, if you try to walk as a black person, Candace, you try to walk away from it once they've given you equality. They didn't give me equality. That's the thing. In, a, in the United States, you are born free. The government did not give you freedom. The government protects your freedoms. This is very different than every country in the history of the world. We are born free. The government protects those rights. The government didn't make you free because that means a man made you free. You are free by the nature of, of reality. You are free by, it is your birthright as a human being. And that's what our founding documents said. They're unalienable rights. We have God-given rights. That is very different than saying the government made you free, but they can't stand when somebody walks. So we're for women. We're for brown people. They really don't like Nikki Haley. She's, uh, I believe she's Indian. She was a governor, the governor of South Carolina, a Southern state, right? She's probably going to run for president in 2024. I would support her in a second, but I'm not supporting her because she's brown and I'm supporting her because she's a woman. I'm supporting her because I think she's got a lot of good ideas, um, but they don't want you to walk that walk free. So they have to extract a really high cost because they can't just let black people know, you know, black people, Republicans don't hate you because then you might start exploring some of their ideas and you might be a black person that wants to be a small business owner. And you go, wait a minute, if I'm a small business owner, I might want low taxes so I can employ more people and buy more capital and start building a bigger business. But we've those seen- are, Those are Republican ideas. But we've seen religious, I mean, all the, the data suggests that like certain uh, sectors, like especially religious Latin people, but there's like, you know, there's Latin support for Donald Trump. There's yeah. black. I mean, but that's always been right. There's always been like Republican, a Republican base within the minorities in certain sectors, be it now or 20 years ago. Sure. So it's growing. Like, so it's yeah. not, it, it's not, it's not a reaction. They're not reacting to the fact that they were like pushed out of the, the only sort of um, the the only political body that they thought they could be a part of. Well, no, but I would say it's it's rapidly expanding and I don't think people realize how crazily it's expanding. Do you think you would be as passionate about your belief system if it hadn't unlocked an income stream for you? 
<laughs> I mean, I've never really thought about that before, but it's worth it's, thinking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I've always, well, let's put it this way. I, I would be doing it no matter what. I know mm. I would be doing it no matter what, I, because the way that I go about my life, this, everything that I'm saying to you is true. I'm not trying to get you. I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm, I'm actually, and as I, I think I said this a couple of times, I'm not even really trying to convince you to, to believe any of the things that I'm saying here. I, I think we can let this conversation sit and some people will listen and go, oh, you know, Dave made a couple of points. Maybe I'll check out that interview with Thomas Sowell or whatever. Um, it's a function, I think, that I, this is what I would say. It's a function that I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing, that success has come. Mm. I think if you, if you do what you're supposed to be doing, what you're passionate about, success will come, but it doesn't mean you can do it tomorrow. I had a lot of seriously shitty years of doing stand-up in New York City, standing on street corners, handing out tickets in rain, nor sleet, nor snow. You know what I mean? Like I, there was one night I was out there, some massive, you know, barking. I'm sure you've talked to many comics about it. And like, where you two hours of just handing out tickets. So you get five minutes of stage time and it's a freaking nightmare and it's horrible. And it's like, like borderline suicidal. And bringer one night, shows. The, and then bringer bringer shows. At least you can drag a couple of your friends to, and you don't have right. to stand outside. That's the next version of the the nightmare, though, because eventually you run out of friends. Because because right. bl- basically you blow your load when you're not a great comic, and then by the time you're good, nobody wants to come anymore. It's too late. <laughs> and and it's funny. I'm in a really weird spot with stand up now, which is. I did it for like 12 years in New York and I was pretty good. And I was one of the youngest comics ever passed at the cellar. And I did some good stuff. Um, but then I came here and started doing something totally different. And I wasn't that funny in this conversation. And it's like, now when I was on tour with Jordan, if we had an off night in the city, I would just do the local club, but I would do an hour and I sold out every gig that I did. And it's funny, I don't even care about it that much, which is a really weird thing also. Cause when I loved it and I was living it, you know, it's like you can get three people to show up to your show or whatever. And it's like now, because of this other thing that I do, I get to exercise the stand-up thing again. So when I go on tour, it's going to be like half stand-up, half lecture, half Q&A. But it's more just like I kind of get up there and just, it's more like I'm running a circus or something. Um, there was a point there that I lost after all that. Which See, I'm making fun attend, of- Attended there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. That was it. That was Dave. Again, this conversation was at the end of February before sort of a lot of the current political situation had revealed itself. So in case you're wondering or in case you forgot, we recorded this at the end of February. Anyway, Dave, thank you for being on the show. If you want to check out his book, there's a link in the liner notes. Love you guys. See you next week.